wrap-up of our journey through Believe. And in the Believe booklet that you've been reading, discussing in your Ohana groups, and we've been covering each weekend beginning last September, we've considered 30 topics, which we're going to review this morning. But before we do, and you're thinking, oh, this must be a long sermon. Uh, we'll do it real quickly. Uh, before we do that, I want to ask you, if you have ever felt shortchanged when it comes to your physical appearance, did you ever feel like God was holding out on you? It's like, oh, man, God, if only I could have been three inches taller, or if only I wasn't so big-boned or small-boned, or, Lord, why did you have to make my ears stick out so far? Or, God, how come you couldn't have given me hair that would last all my life, you know? I mean, sometimes we think that. And it is true that some of those things matter when it comes to acceptance by other people, popularity in school, getting a job, even a promotion. I mean, height or physical attractiveness can actually come into bear, studies have shown. It's also been shown that when we lack those qualities, a lot of times we'll more than compensate for the lack of that ability or quality with maybe more effort or maybe more uh, just intuitive uh, reaching for something and we'll become better, deeper, and richer than if we'd have had those qualities and just cruised. What about in the spiritual realm? Did you ever feel like maybe God's holding out on you a little bit there? Because that's what really counts, our soul, the development of our soul. Well, actually, uh, we know if we're Christians that before we came to Christ, we weren't all that nice. I mean, think about it. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we were self-centered. Before we followed Jesus, it was all about us. And in that self-centered way of living, we leave in our wake a path of sin and broken relationships and all kinds of things. But then we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hear that God loves me anyway, that Christ died on that cross for my sins, and if I'll believe, if I'll receive Jesus as my Savior, He'll forgive me, and He will actually give me life that lasts forever. So we're excited about that. We have a new life in Christ. And then, to our disappointment, it becomes apparent that some of those old behaviors, some of those old patterns and habits are still there. We still blow it. We still fall short in one way or another, and we're disappointed. And maybe then, we're tempted to think, God, are you holding out on me? If you'd given me more of your spirit, if you had given me more strength of character and courage, I could be better. I could be all that you intended me to be. Well, in Peter's second letter, and you can turn there in your Bible if you'd like to follow along with this passage, he dispels that myth. Because he says to every one of us who are followers of Christ, God's given you everything you need 
for the life that he intends for you to lead. And so we're going to, yes, we're going to review these 30 topics, but we're going to do so in the context of that opening chapter of Second Peter. And what I want to do is set it up with a long sentence, which I've broken into three parts, which forms our outline this morning. It's in your bulletin. And uh, here's the first part of that sentence. If we believe the foundational truths of the faith, that's what Paul, or excuse me, Peter begins to address right here when he says in verse 1, Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of, God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Actually, it would be very easy to spend the entirety of this message on that one verse. There's so much packed in there. And I'll just mention a couple things. Simon, Peter. I mean, we know that his given name was Simon, but Jesus called him Peter, the rock, which he would become under Jesus' mentorship. But he's described himself as a bond servant, a love slave of Jesus Christ. Here he is, the great apostle Peter, a bond servant. But he is an apostle. He's one sent out by Jesus. He's writing to those who received this faith of the same kind as theirs, as the apostles. The people that received that letter and we who hear it this morning, if we're followers of Christ and we have faith in Jesus, our faith is of no less value than theirs was. Even though they had firsthand just a relationship with Jesus, we got the same faith. And he says, the righteousness of our God, this righteousness that we've been given isn't ours. We didn't earn it. It came from God. And uh, he speaks as of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some people want to reduce Jesus and say, well, he was just a good man. Actually, the apostles knew that he was God incarnate. He was deity encased in humanity. He's our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter goes on to say, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He's saying God's power, his divine power. Think about that. We know about atomic power and such. That's dwarfed by the power of God who spoke the universe into existence. This divine power plus a true knowledge is given to us who've been called by his own glory and excellence so that we have everything we need to live a life of godliness. That's his point right here. Put them together. His power, a true knowledge of Jesus, and we've got everything we need for life and godliness. He goes on in verse 4 to say, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. 
When you were singing those songs this morning, I hope you were reflecting on the words and the phrases. Because he talks about precious and magnificent promises. Those songs were laced with the precious and magnificent promises that we have in Christ. And how we're going to fix our eyes on him and one day we'll see him face to face. Well, those words, those phrases come from the principles that are set forth in Scripture. And so what we need to do is lay hold of those promises. And if we'll do so, we'll escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. How many of you have noticed this week as you've listened to the news or maybe watched TV or read the papers that there's some corruption in our world? It's true, isn't it? I mean, you think of the political realm, you think of the economic realm, there's a lot of corruption. Just in our own daily lives and experience, he's saying we, we've got everything we need to escape that if we will think about Christ and the Lord in, with true knowledge and then act with God's power to become more like Jesus. We've got everything we need. Well, to believe these things, we have to know them. And George Gallup Jr. said that's a challenge in the American church. He's a pollster. He's done all these surveys, and he did a survey that targeted Christians in America here about uh, a few years ago. He actually ended up writing a book about it. And here's one of the things that he concluded. Churches face no greater challenge than overcoming biblical illiteracy. And the prospects for doing so are formidable because the stark fact is many Christians don't know what they believe or why. That's really true. Now, I don't think that's generally true of you folks. I don't. Because I think we study the Bible in our Ohana groups. We really read from the Bible. We preach the Bible and teach it. Uh, and yet... It's possible that some of us could be a little more illiterate than we should be, but it's generally true across the American church scene. And so that's why we embarked on this Believe series, starting last September, saying we need to just set forth these 10 things that we believe and then 10 practices that we ought to engage in so that we will take on these 10 virtues that speak of Jesus. I want us to just quickly review the first 10 to begin with here. And these are the key beliefs. And what I'm going to do is I'll mention the topic and then I'm going to ask you to say the phrase following it, okay? So that'll be your clue. So let's start with the first one. God. I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Personal God. I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. Salvation. I believe a person comes into a right relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible. I believe the Bible is the word of God and has the right to command my belief and action. Identity in Christ. 
I believe I am significant because of my position as a child of God. Church. I believe the church is God's primary way to accomplish his purposes on earth. Humanity. I believe all people are loved by God and need Jesus Christ as their Savior. Compassion. I believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. Stewardship. I believe everything I am and everything I own belongs to God. Eternity. I believe there is a heaven and a hell and that Jesus will return to judge all people and to establish his eternal kingdom. Do you believe those truths? I mean, do you really believe those truths? There's a difference, folks, between intellectual assent and heartfelt, committed belief. Some things remain theory in our minds, but they're never really put to the test. And if they are, and if it's proven true over and over again, then that becomes just the law of whatever that is. Let me give you an example. I've been thinking about the theory of the pendulum this week. I mean, I Googled it, looked it up. It's something a physics teacher would talk about, but you can see it's pretty simple. You've got a nail and a screw up there. You've got a, a massive bob down there, depending on how big the bob is, and uh, then a string rope or rod, and there's Bob's trajectory. I don't know if you know anybody named Bob, but if he were on the end of that string, that's his trajectory. Okay, well, that's what happens with that plumb bob. It gets even more complex. Look at the next chart. I mean... If you've got a frictionless point up there, or pivot, then it can swing more freely. Then uh, the massless rod makes a difference if it's not too heavy, and your equilibrium position is at the bottom, and you've got all those... Fa in fact, there's pages on this kind of theory, uh, which they say is actually the law of the pendulum. In fact, they say that if you take a pendulum and you take it to a point over here, and you let it go, and it swings to the other side, it won't come back quite as far as where it was when it began. That's the law of the pendulum. Let me ask you by a show of hands this morning, it's not a trick question, how many of you believe the law of the pendulum? Uh, okay, good number of you do, okay. Well, it relates, and I'll show you how it relates to our faith. Once we believe something, if we're really willing to put it into practice, because that, that's what has to happen with these ten things that we say we believe. We've got to put them into practice. That leads to my second part of this sentence. If we believe the foundational truths of the faith and act in faith to put these beliefs into practice, now that's where the rubber meets the road. If we believe these things and then act in faith to practice them, here's how the Apostle Peter continues and says this. Now, for this very reason also, because God's divine power is available, we have a true knowledge of Christ and these precious and magnificent promises, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence. Now, diligence, what's that imply? Effort some energy, 
some practicing of some habits or disciplines that will supply moral excellence. But he's not through. And in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Now, believing was sufficient for salvation. All we had to do was believe that God loved us enough to send his son Jesus into this world who would voluntarily give himself as a sacrifice on that cross for our sins, for my sins personally. If we'll believe and we'll receive Christ, we are saved. We have been forgiven. That's called salvation. But though belief is sufficient for salvation, it's not enough for sanctification, which means growing in Christ's likeness, becoming like Jesus. That is going to take some effort. See, salvation is free. Growth in salvation costs. Costs us some effort. It's God's power, but he needs a little bit of effort on our, on our behalf, on, from, our, from us. And that's where these practices come into play. So we're going to look at these 10 practices in, in just a moment. But I want to do this antiphonally. Now, this is a 21st century worship center. But if we were back maybe a thousand years in a, a medieval cathedral, we might be singing antiphonally, which means uh, you folks that sing a verse and then you folks that echo that back and back and forth. Well, that's what we're going to do as we read through these 10 practices, okay? So I'll state the topic and you folks be number one and number two. And here's the deal. Since there's only half of you now, you need to state it like you believe it, okay? Don't be shy, all right? So we'll go with this group first. Worship. I worship God for who he is and what he has done for me. Prayer. I pray to God to know him, to find direction for my life, and to lay my requests before him. Bible study. I study the Bible to know God and his truth and to find direction for my daily life. Single-mindedness. I focus on God and his priorities for my life. Total surrender. I dedicate my life to God's purposes. Biblical community. I fellowship with Christians to accomplish God's purposes in my life, in the life of others, and in the world. Spiritual gifts. I know my spiritual gifts and use them to fulfill God's purposes, offering my time. I invest my time in fulfilling God's purposes, giving my resources. I give my resources to fulfill God's purposes and sharing my faith. I share my faith with others to fulfill God's purposes. Now, these practices, when we begin to engage in them as believers, they eventually become habits, the disciplines of the faith. And you know what they do? They replace the old habits 
that we used to practice. That's one of the reasons we do them. It's kind of like, you know, God's remodeling our, our lives, our heart. Kind of like when you remodel your home. Let's say that you got all new furniture in there, but uh, you decide, I'm going to a garage sale, I'm going down to Goodwill, and you get some old furniture and you paint it and you bring it in there. That's really in vogue now. They call that shabby chic, just so you know. I just learned that this week. But uh, that's not what we need to do in our spiritual lives. Because if we do that, if we just keep some of those old habits and just try to paint over them, but we bring in new habits, that's not going to work. He wants us to replace those old habits and behaviors with new habits and practices, and those are the things we just talked about. The other thing that we need to know about these practices, whether it's prayer, worship, fellowship, giving, all those things we just talked about, those things don't make us holy. That's the mistake the Pharisees made. They thought, oh, if we'll go to the temple, if we'll say these loud prayers on the street corners, if we'll pray X number of times a day, if we will tithe of everything that we have, uh, then we'll be holy. And we are holy. And we can look down on other people. Well, there's a lot of people that go to church that kind of think that way, even in our day. That it's all these spiritual practices that make us somebody and really spiritual and we can look down on other people. But Jesus said to the Pharisees, uh, your lips speak of God, but your hearts are far from him. You see, God wants to change our hearts. And so a relationship with God will change us inside and result in external change. So what about the practices? Are they important? Yes, they are. They don't make us holy. But they put us in a position before God and other believers where God can begin to work within us. Do you see the difference here? It's so important. Because otherwise we can become, in our religious activities, critical of others, judgmental of other people that don't practice their faith the way we do. But that's not it at all. It's our heart relationship with God. We do those things so that we can get close to Jesus, giving him an opportunity to change us within. But we have to move from thinking to acting. We have to move from believing to behaving. And that happens only if we truly believe those things. They're no longer theory to us. Now, I need a volunteer this morning. And uh, it's fairly low risk, but you've got to come up here. And uh, I'll tell you what we'll do when you get here. A little bit of faith involved. So would uh, someone be willing to volunteer and give me a hand here? Yes. Okay, Rachel. Thank you very much. Rachel, is this prearranged? No. Do you know what we're going to do? No. Okay, good. All right. So um, I want you to come over here and stand right about there, Rachel, if you would, and face me. Okay, excellent. And so what we're going to consider is the law of the pendulum. This is Bob. And uh, this is my rope. And this is a pendulum, okay? And the law of the pendulum, Rachel, says, I'll, I'll hold this. Don't try this at home, okay? 
One step closer. The law of the pendulum says, this is, uh, if this 10-pound weight hits you, it would do a little damage. The law of the pendulum says that this pendulum won't swing back quite as far as it was. Do you believe the law of the pendulum? Yes. Okay. Do you guys believe this? Let's give it a go. All right. <laughs> Good job, Rachel. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. That, she really did believe, didn't she? In the last service, Suzanne at that point said, I'm not sure. I thought I was going to have to go get another volunteer. But she said, okay, I believe, you know. And I thought, well, that's kind of how we are with some of these beliefs. We're not real sure until we begin to practice it and see the change that the Lord begins to bring about in our lives. And that leads us to this last part of the sentence. If we believe the foundational truths of the faith and act in faith to put these beliefs into practice, we'll become useful and fruitful servants of Christ. That's Peter's conclusion in this passage. He says this in verse 8. For if these qualities, all these wonderful things he talks about here, are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he says if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, you will be useful and fruitful. And here's the thing. If we're not growing in our virtues in Christ, we're probably not staying the same. We're probably drifting. Did you ever experience that? It's easy to do, isn't it? If we're not focused on Christ, if we're not engaging in these practices based on our beliefs, we're probably drifting from the Lord. No, he says, no, they need to be increasing in your lives. And if so, you'll be neither use, useful, you, you'll be neither useless nor unfruitful. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, don't you want to be useful to Christ? Don't you want to be fruitful in what he's called you to do through your life? Of course you do. Every one of us does if we're followers of Christ. So have you ever met a Christian who would say, yes, I do want to be useful. I want to be fruitful. And yet that person is continually rude, obnoxious, and cantankerous. Say, yeah, I talked to that guy this morning. <laughs> no, um, but we all can be that way, right? We, we all can be that way, even as followers of Christ. What's that all about? I mean, a person that just doesn't seem to possess these qualities, and they're certainly not increasing, we've grown stagnant. Here's what Peter says about that person. He says, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. It's possible as believers to get into a rut and we're no longer growing, we're no longer increasing in these qualities and we then develop spiritual nearsightedness or spiritual dementia. Forgot about how much we have been forgiven. His Common is purification from our former sins. And we begin to think that we're 
holy and righteous because of the religious things we do. And we begin to look down on other people and become judgmental of them. I don't think I mentioned in this service the uh, shootings in Orlando, uh, but I did in the other services, and we prayed for the folks there, the victims, their families. When I first heard about it on the radio this morning, or excuse me, I heard about it from Dee. She came in and started talking to me, and then she turned on the TV. And I heard that, oh, this was in Orlando, and uh, my first thought was, wow, we know people in Orlando. That's where the Campus Crusade for Christ headquarters is located. Some of our missionaries, the Joneses, are there. And then as the commentator went on, he talked about how the Pulse is a, a well-known gay nightclub, and that's where the sh shooting took place um, and last night. And the thought occurred to me later, well, would we pray less for the folks that were at that nightclub than if, than if that shooter had gone to the Campus Crusade for Christ headquarters? Would we care less? Would we pray less? I hope not. Does God care less about every person that was there last night than anyone else? No. He loves every one of them. And our hearts should break, as I know God's does, and he's weeping for the victims, the families, and the senseless tragedy there. And we need to be praying for those people, caring about them. Because we can't forget where we've come from, what Christ has done to forgive us of our sins. And now everybody needs a Savior. And we're no better than anyone else. It's just that we have the righteousness of Christ that's been given to us. And as we grow in Christ, uh, we want to exude the virtues that speak of him. This past week, Dee and I were at a banquet. And when we went in, uh, they gave us uh, each several little tickets. And um, there were numbers, little numbers on those tickets for the door prizes. And every once in a while, Sandy would go to the microphone and call out some numbers, and that would be for a door prize. And then she came to a number, and no one was responding. They're about ready to move on, and I see the gal across me, from me, Sharon. She's looking at her ticket and trying to focus and said, Oh, I forgot my glasses. I said, Here, Sharon, let me have that. Oh, yeah, you won. Okay, so she got the prize. And then later, they go through another series of numbers, and then they can't find the, the person who has this number, and Sharon's over there looking. I said, let me see that. And she actually won three prizes that night. I didn't win any. But uh, uh, you know what? She hadn't forgotten her former purification of sin, but she'd forgotten her glasses, and she couldn't see the number and about missed on the out on the prize. Folks, when we get spiritually nearsighted and we can't remember our former purification of sins and ongoing purification of sins, then we don't exude the character of Christ. We miss out on the prize of growing on and increasing in these qualities so that we're able to express or become who Christ wants us to become. So we're going to review these virtues uh, here again. And I need two more volunteers. It has nothing to do with the pendulum, okay? This is about reading this time, okay? So I need a couple of readers. If we have any readers, you've got to be able to see the screen. Okay, Jim, you'll be one. Okay, who else? Emily, you'd like to read? 
Matt? Okay, okay, thanks. So you can just be seated right where you are, and uh, Emily, you'll be number one, and you can pass it to Matt back and forth, up to you, but uh, one, and then Jim will be two, and then, okay, so these are the virtues, okay? Let's go with the first one, and state the topic, and then read the verse. Love. I am committed to loving God and loving others. Joy. Despite my circumstances, I feel inner contentment and understand my purpose in life. Peace. I am free from anxiety because I have found peace with God, peace with others, and peace with myself. Self-control. I have the power through Christ to control myself. Hope. I can cope with the hardships of life because of the hope I have in Jesus Christ. Patience. I am slow to anger and endure patiently under the unavoidable pressures of life. Kindness, goodness. I choose to be kind and good in my relationships with others. Faithfulness. I have established a good name with God and others based on my loyalty to those relationships. Gentleness. I am thoughtful, considerate, and calm in my dealings with others. Humility. I choose to esteem others above myself. All right, thank you, Jim, Emily. This concludes our Believe journey, but I hope it's the only the beginning of continuing to live out these practices. Th the thing is, folks, we need to think about these top ten beliefs or key ideas that we've considered and make sure we truly believe them. You may want to continue to study them. Use your Belief booklet. Use this uh, handout in the bulletin. Put it in your Bible and review those beliefs and look up other verses that relate to those. And then the practices. Am I really engaged in these? I will if I believe these truths. And which one do I need to give myself to this week or this month? And you may want to select one regularly and say, God, this week or this month... I want to maybe do more study on this one or engage in this more seriously and we can encourage one another in this. And if we'll believe these truths and if we'll act in these ways, then these virtues will become increasingly ours. Now, which is more important? Believing those truths or practicing them? In other words, which is more important? Faith or works? James addressed that in his short letter. And let's say this is faith over here, and over there is works. And uh, people wonder, which is more important? James said they're both important. He said, faith without works is dead. He said, you show me your faith, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And those balance our lives to where we can become increasingly who Jesus has asked us to become and empowers us with his divine power. Can you imagine if you in your own sphere would begin to put these beliefs because they become genuine beliefs into practice, how it would affect the people around you if you began to take on those virtues more and more? Can you imagine what would happen if we as a church really got serious about this and saw transformation? It would rock this city. It really would. And the thing is, and the good news is, God's given us everything we need for this to happen. His divine power 
as we lay hold of his precious and magnificent promises. Let's give ourselves to this in faith. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, we're grateful that you didn't just give us some guidelines. You just didn't give us a philosophy of life like every other religion has. But you've given us yourself coming amongst us and now your Holy Spirit to dwell within us in a relationship with you that changes us, changes our hearts and desires so that from the inside out, because of your power, we're becoming new people. Help us not to be content. Forgive us for our willingness to stagnate. And God, help us to press on in this great salvation that you've given to us so that we might escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. Lord, I pray for each of us in that today, but I also pray for anyone here who's not yet opened their heart to you. Someone who has yet come to faith, to believe the gospel that you indeed gave your life, that we might be forgiven. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for that person, that she or he would say, Yes, Jesus, I believe that you died on that cross for me. I receive you, and I want to follow you. Just a simple prayer today would express that faith. Lord, we ask these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.